Twins offseason preview show with Seth Stowe's of Twins Daily. When it comes down to all the websites that we've looked at for writers and information, Twins Daily is actually probably my favorite. It's one of the reasons that I contacted Seth because I was so impressed with the website that I had to meet the guy that you know kind of put it together. One last time, I want to apologize for the episode audio quality. At the time, I was fighting a cold, and we were having kind of issues with my microphone at the time, but that was the last episode that we had that problem with, so from now on, it's smooth sailing until uh, something else happens. So as usual, enjoy the episode, and thank you guys for listening in general. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Start with the catching situation. You have probably the best defensive catcher in baseball. You find, Joe Maurer is gone for now, forever now. I don't know why I said it like he died or something, but Joe Maurer has. <laughs> he's gonna be in the organization forever too, so he's kind of hanging around. You know, yeah. numbers numbers hang forever eventually. But Jason Castro has been this team's catcher for a while, coming off the torn meniscus. So what is what is the situation looking like? Well, I mean, like you said, it's his defense uh, first and foremost, and and uh, I mean when Derek Falvey and Thad Levine came in to take over the organization. Uh, after Terry Ryan was let go, their first signing, and it was an early signing, maybe even by Thanksgiving, was Jason Castro a couple of years ago to a three-year, $24 million deal. With that, it was all about his metrics, his pitch framing, uh, the stories of his leadership and things like that. And he had a pretty good first year with the Twins, both defensively, and he actually put up numbers uh, that were his best offensive numbers in like four years. So... I mean, he, he's got the ability to be a pretty solid player. I mean, to me, it's all about the defense. What you get with, with the bat from him is just a bonus. And, you know, he missed pretty much all of last year. He, he only played like 18, 19 games. Um, and as much as the numbers may not show it in terms of, you know, offense or whatever, I think his absence really affected the pitching staff uh, to some degree. Um, but, again, we'll find out more this year. He should be healthy. So behind him. We're talking about Mitch Garver, a guy that's had concussion problems. What what does it look like with Garver? Is Garver going to be a catcher this year? Are they going to try to move him around? Or is the health issues just no problem at this point because he is healthy right now? Uh, he is healthy right now. Um, he was able to return last year uh, in September from the concussion and get some at-bats. Um, he's had a full uh, healthy offseason. So as of right now, as we head into pitchers and catchers reporting later this week, He's healthy. He's ready to go. And if so, he's uh, he's going to be the backup and probably play quite a bit because with him, you do get the offense. You do have a guy that hits for av- can hit for average, does take good at bats, and does have some power. Um, and I think he does have the versatility to play a little bit of first base. He played, you know, a few hands full of uh, or handfuls. You guys will have to tell me which is correct, but uh, in left field the year before, but you know, really, he's he's a catcher slash DH slash third string first baseman. So you know, he's he's pretty pretty solid. But I know the Twins fan base is most excited about La Tortuga, uh, Williams Astadio, who you know came up last year a couple of times. He played all over the diamond, including left field, center field, third base, second base, and then a little bit of catching at the end. 
Um, his inability to take a walk or strike out is really pretty amazing. And he hit 355 with some power in, in a short, small sample at the end of last year. So Twins fans love him. He does have versatility, could be an opening day guy, probably more of a guy that's their third catcher who will be in Rochester as and, and be able to call up as needed. One of my favorite articles actually that I've read in a very long time was actually on Twins Daily, obviously the site that you run. Nick Nelson had an article called, Is Mitch Garver Still a Catcher? I didn't realize all the hell that he'd been through behind the plate. I mean, you know, this is the same organization that had the same problem with Joe Maurer, you know, having the concussion problem. But Garver was also hit on the head by a backswing of Machado, and he's just been getting beat up back there, it seems like. Yeah, and, and Garver's had this concussion in the big leagues. He did have a couple when he was down in low A ball, uh, you know, three, four, five years ago. Um, so it isn't quite uh, something I think that they're terribly worried about yet. But as you know, one, concussions are hard to diagnose and know what their full effects will be each time. And we do generally know that each concurrent one can be worse. So it is certainly something that's on their radar that they are thinking about. And you're right, the Twins have been really kind of devastated in the last decade, decade and a half by concussions. You mentioned Mowers, which basically changed his career trajectory from sure ballot, first first ballot Hall of Famer to probably a borderline Hall of Famer who I still think will get in at some point. Justin Morneau's career was altered drastically when he had his concussion a couple of years before that. Denard Spann, when he was with the Twins, missed significant time with a concussion. So this organization knows how tough and how difficult uh, concussions can be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to go to first base right now. C.J. Crone, a guy that was DFA'd by the Rays just because of the, the influx of young talent that they have. What is C.J. Crone going to bring to the table for this Twins organization, and is he the starter on opening day? Yeah, I think all projections are that he'll be the starter. You know, there's some possibility that Tyler Austin will play into that as well. Uh, they received him last year uh, from the Yankees uh, in the Lance Lynn trade. Um, but for the most part, I, I do think it's going to be C.J. Crone, and, and what they're hoping to get from him is probably what they hope to get from Logan Morrison last year, who was coming off a big power season. But Crone had 30 home runs in the Rays uh, lineup last year, so I hope I, I would assume that's what the Twins hope they'll get from him this year, or at least something very similar. What's the feel on Tyler Austin? This is a guy that can't seem to really find a place and get some playing time. Do you think that he will wind up getting playing time this year for the Twins, or is he going to be kind of like the Yankee situation and kind of be out of luck? He's, he's kind of, I mean, it's that's very possible um, because not that he can't play, but, you know, he does strike out a lot. Um, there's a ton of power in his bat. But as teams are going from, you know, 12-man pitching staffs to a lot of teams having 13-man pitching staffs, you just don't have a lot of room for an extra DH um, or even a backup first baseman with that type of thing. You're basically going to have your backup catcher, a backup infielder, and a backup outfielder, and that's it. So if they do go to 13 um, pitchers, which most – teams are doing it's just going to be a matter of, of dollars and cents and what he can do in spring to try to beat out cj crone who you know signed a five million dollar or 4.8 million dollar deal with the twins in arbitration which of course means it's not fully guaranteed um so i mean he would really have to take big strides and since austin's out of options 
as you know, the Twins would have to uh, put him or make him available and put him on waivers uh, for any team to claim. So it's it's hard to envision him getting a ton of at bats. But if he does, there's 30 home run power potential in his bat. Yeah, I was going to say that there is that potential there. It's just he's got Greg Berg syndrome where he just can't stay healthy, and that's one of the biggest problems there. Second base, a guy that you know was quietly one of the better second basemen in the American League the past few years with the Orioles. Went over to Milwaukee in the trade, really did not do too well. I thought it was one of the better signings of the offseason. I thought a lot of teams could have used him, especially contending teams. Jonathan Scope, 27 years old, on a one-year deal, only making 7.5, which is not a lot in baseball. The one-year deal makes it great. He's your opening day second baseman. He's your everyday second baseman. Is he going to bounce back and be the 270, 280 guy with 20-plus home runs? I think he is, but do Twins fans and kind of, you know, writers and you guys think that he's going to bounce back? You think he's going to be more of a 250, 260? I mean, that that's the big question. I mean, he received MVP votes two years ago and, and is a 20, 25 home run type of guy. Last year he was injured. He fought uh, the oblique thing most of the year and then simply didn't go well once he got to Milwaukee. But as you mentioned, he's only 27 years old, and I think that's something that gives the Twins – front office a lot of hope and for me i love this signing uh, it seems very low risk um but a potentially high reward i mean again if he can be a good second baseman defensively hit 20 to 25 home runs his key will really be trying to find ways to get on base he's always been a low on base percentage guy if he can do that i mean this is a tremendous signing uh you know a lot of twins fans and, and we talked about it pre-show too a little bit teams just want their teams to spend money and, I mean, D.J. LeMayhew's out there, but if you look at his trajectory over the last three years, that's been a steady decline, whereas with with Scope, you have the injuries that can factor in. He's, like, three, four years younger. I, I really like the Jonathan Scope signing and think that he has a chance to bounce back. Yeah, I love the Scope signing. I thought that he would have been a perfect— I thought he would have been a perfect replacement for a team like the Red Sox if Pedroia wasn't going to make it and they wanted to go away from Nunez or— if things didn't get moves around in Colorado or Chicago, whatever it may be, I think he's a good, I mean, he's a veteran. Yeah. He's 27. He's in his prime. He's, he's just hitting his prime. Now he's been in the league for a few years. He's got that experience. Another guy that is hitting his, you know, his prime age is Miguel Sano. He's at third base. He's got a couple of years of team control left. Great contract on the guy. A few years ago, everyone's thinking he'd be a 40, 50 run home run guy. Bat 270, maybe even 280. Going to be this, you know, him and Dozier are just going to be the Bash brothers in the infield for the next three or four years. He hit a major wall, has a few problems off the field, a little bit out of shape, can't hit, can't field. They put him all the way down a single A. Now, I think there was a background story where he had some, there's some more pitching coaches that you guys liked and hitting coaches that are down in single A during the year. So that was one of the reasons behind that. I'm sure you can elaborate more. Obviously, Sano is going to make a comeback. I don't think he's going to be a 220 hitter and can't hit anymore. But what's the future look like for him? Because a few years ago, he was going to be a franchise third baseman. Is he a trade piece coming up in a few years if he bounces back? Or is he somebody in for the long haul that we're going to see in the mid-2020s? I mean, if he bounces back and can and can play the way I think most people projected him to, he's a he's a guy you build around. Uh, and there's a few of those guys on this roster. I'm sure we'll get to more of them. But um, it was a tough 2018 for him, starting with the allegations, 
there was no suspension from MLB, but obviously that took a toll. He had just come back from having a titanium rod put in his leg, um, so he certainly wasn't in 100%, and he wasn't able to work out much during the offseason. So, yeah, he definitely bulked up, so to speak. And he's always going to be a big guy, but, you know, you look at Instagram photos of him and Rocco Baldelli down in the Dominican. Um, you know, Miguel looks pretty good. I mean, he looks like he's been working out, and if he can be in shape, that will help. That will help him potentially be a decent or even at least average third baseman. But when it comes to Miguel Sano, it's all about the power. And in 2017, he was an all-star. He was in the home run contest and lost to Aaron Judge in the finals. Um, he's he's that good, potentially. The key for me with him is his ability to lay off of those sliders down and away, which is a huge thing for all hitters, really. Um, he was able to do it in 2015 when he came up. He did it before the all-star break in 2017. Last year he couldn't. Yeah, he was sent down to Fort Myers, which is the low A, I'm sorry, the high A affiliate. And really, that's where the Twins facilities are in spring training. They have tremendous facilities. A lot of their trainers are down there. Um, so he worked with them and, and really put in the time. And when he came back uh, four, five, six weeks later, he already looked like he had made strides. Um, now it's putting it all together again. And I don't want to say starting over, but this is a big year for him um, to determine what his future is. He this was this will be his first arbitration year, starting to make a little bit of money. And if he wants to make money, like I think was his goal when he when he signed, uh, this is this is a huge year for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he will bounce back, like you said. The mental factors from the allegations take a toll. Coming back from injury takes a toll. He's a big guy to begin with, but. It looks like Baldelli is, uh, you know, working well with the younger crew. And before Austin gets the shortstop, I, I want to talk about Baldelli really quick before I forget. Man, what a journey for him. He goes from being a huge top prospect, you know, one of those guys that from high school on, you knew he's going to be a major leaguer. He's going to be a stud. Makes it all the way up there with Tampa. Gets sick. And I guess people kind of just maybe people don't know, maybe people kind of forgot how good he was and how smart he is. There's a reason why he's the youngest manager in baseball. These young guys in this team, you know, you look at the Barrioses, the Sanos, you look at even a guy like Scope and stuff like that. He's only 27 years old. I believe Baldelli off the top of my head is only 35 years old or around there. He's only 10 years old in these studs on the team. There's Bucks and the Kepler, uh, the Keplers and all those guys. How important is it to start and turn the tide with the manager and with this young Sean McVay type from the L.A. Rams and bringing in a young guy that can not only work with the guys baseball-wise, but can also just bring them together as a team? Well, I mean, first of all, let me just say that Paul Molitor was just a solid manager. He was the manager of the year in 2017. Oh, awesome. Big fan of him. And no disrespect to him at all. I mean, he was kind of he got the short end of the stick there, I would say, um, yep. was with when was his uh, firing. Yeah. But understandably, this front office is now in year three. They need to start showing things. And this was their opportunity to pick their own guy. They went through quite an elaborate process to pick their manager. But having heard Rocco Baldelli in press conferences, having kind of uh you know, briefly chatted with him at Twins Fest, uh, just hearing different things in interviews. This guy's good. I mean, he's smart. He's got a great background as a player, as a great player, and as an injured player, as a guy who's had to make a comeback, 
and so many other things and then realized that his career was done, but he didn't sulk. He found a way into the front office and then onto the field. So he's got tremendous background um, and he's been on the field and he's been in the front office. So he seems like he'd have a lot there. But I think one thing that really should be interesting, it's important for Twins fans and for the players, is he should be able to relate to Byron Buxton, to Miguel Sano, to these Max Kepler's another guy who have tremendous upsides as Baldelli did and have had their struggles. And he's had those same struggles and been able to find a way to bounce back. So, I mean, I think there's some of it uh, that that plays into it as well. That's a factor as well. And he just seems to relate to people so well, as smart as he is and as into in analytics as he is. He's going to be about people and relationships and trying to find ways to bring out the best in the individuals. And and again, not that Paul Molitor or any other manager isn't trying to do the same thing, but maybe the fact that he's just 37 still, they can relate. He was a big leaguer 10 years ago, not 30 years ago. I mean, there's there's a lot to say about that. The game's changed in the last two three years, much less the last five to 10 years. But he understands that, and I think he's going to be a really good manager for this team. So we're getting the shortstop, right? When yep. I mean, a couple years ago, we w- we could have talked about, you know, this the Twins' the shortstops are amazing. They have a ton of awesome shortstops, by the way. A guy that kind of, I think they missed his window, and this is actually probably the first conversation that we actually had whenever uh, we talked about doing this. What happened to Nick Gordon? Where does Nick Gordon fit in this scheme of things, if he does at all? Well, I mean, he's still a solid prospect. Um, first of all, Jorge Polanco is still very young and was a former top 100 prospect. Unfortunately, he was, well, fortunately, he was the team's best hitter down the stretch in 2017 when they made the playoffs for the first time in a long time, showing how a hit for power, average, solid enough defense. But he got busted and missed the first 80 games last year, which really, I think, hurt him and the organization just because I don't think they were really ready for that. But he is really good, and he should be a top-of-the-order type of hitter. So I mentioned that first just because I think that ties into Nick Gordon, who was the first-round pick, I think, in 2014 or 15. Um, he's moved up one level a year, and last year he actually repeated in A. I think the reason was for him to start adding a little bit more power. He played well, as he always does to start seasons, but then he moved up to AAA as a 22-year-old, and he definitely struggled. He struggled more than he struggled at any level. I think it's silly when people give up on him. Um, sure, his prospect status and the luster is kind of worn down a little bit, but he's 23 years old, and he'll be getting his second opportunity at AAA to start this season. I think most people see him more as a second baseman, which is another reason I like the Jonathan Scope signing. Uh, because it's a one-year thing, and if things go well with Nick Gordon, he's your starting second baseman going into 2020. Um, but I think he will be ready to compete for a spot, whether it's there's a need at shortstop for a while or a need at second base for a while, even this year. All that said, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest, Royce Lewis isn't terribly far off either. He's got a non-roster invite to spring training, and, uh, man, that kid is impressive for a 19-year-old. Kind of give. Do you think a lot of the Nick Gordon stigma is because Royce is behind him? Just this newer, this newer, seems to be more polished thing. 
is just what waiting behind you, and you're still in the minor leagues, and I feel like everybody's kind of turned on Nick a little bit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's right, and I think some of it's Nick Gordon. Some of it, you know, for instance, Wander Javier is also a top prospect in the organization. At Twins Daily, we just had him as the number five prospect, even though he missed the entire year last year with a shoulder injury. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that Nick Gordon and Royce Lewis have to be completely tied, even though they're both shortstops coming up, because both are really good athletes, especially Lewis. Gordon may be able to play short and second and could play third. Royce Lewis played third base three of his four years in high school because they had another guy who's playing Division One ball as their shortstop the first year, first three years of Royce's high school career. Um, so Lewis could play any of those positions. He could be an outfielder. Uh, it, I don't think that Gordon. I think Gordon's. Uh, I guess to, to pick a word, um, drop in terms of prospect status is simply. He really did struggle with the bat in AAA in the second half this year. Secondly, he's not a big guy, so power is never going to be a part of his game uh, to a large degree, even though that's kind of where the game is going. And, and again, also just not knowing what his defensive position might be. You know, there are some concerns. You know, he may not be the multi-time all-star, but he certainly can be a big league player. So... Royce Lewis recently moved up in MLB Pipeline's rankings, at least, to number four. Kind of give me the prospect profile on Royce Lewis and what Twins fans can expect from him in the coming future. You know, I did a story or an article in probably July or August kind of comparing his timeline with other top shortstop picks taken in the recent years, Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor. And Lewis to this point, is ahead of where those guys were at the same time. And I'm not saying he's going to be them or anything, because you never know. I mean, prospects and, and player development is never a linear path. But profile-wise, I mean, he'll be able to hit. He's got a good hit tool. He's got a pretty good idea of the plate, the approach, a good approach. And he does have some good power potential, even though right now he's probably about 6'2", 190. He's got some room to grow. He's got great speed, athleticism, all of that. And I think he surprised a lot of people, and, and more people, I think, think that he can stay at shortstop, which was was a question mark when he was drafted. And I think he'll have to continue to make strides, but he can play short, and uh, he's got great range. And, and then the other part that he's got are some of those intangibles. I mean, you're talking about one of the really good people, great background, great charisma, He's the kind of guy that once he gets into the big league clubhouse, like Lindor, I think it won't take real long for him to become a leader type of player as well. So, I mean, it's everything you want in a prospect and probably more. Wow. Yeah. I'm just, I was just thinking, I was literally just uh, typing notes about what you're just saying. But so outfield, I have a few different things. We talked about Buxton before we talked about him being a little bit of an injury prone guy, but defensively, just like Casho, an absolute stud. You have Kepler and you have Rosario. Are those the three that are going to kind of be there throughout the year? Or is it going to be more like getting some of the younger guys in it? Not they're all younger, obviously. But are they going to go with those three and let it ride and hope for some good defense and the, the bats to come back? Or 
is it going to be more waiting for Alex Kirloff or Brent Rooker? Sorry, I know I you lost I lost you there for a second. Something was clicking away. It was uh Klinroff, though, who I was gonna say, but I don't know what part got caught out. Dave uh, is out the also. worst with names ever. So Alex Kirloff. <laughs> Kirloff. Yeah, that was my no, I I don't know what time I lost you guys for a second there. You're good. But um all right. So those three though, or Kilroff, is he gonna be in the mix? Well, here, uh, I think the ideal situation is Eddie Rosario in left field. And Rosario should have been an all-star last year in a lot of Twins' opinions. But, you know, he was a borderline guy. He was one of those guys up for that final vote. Um, He did get hurt a little bit late in the year and missed some time. But he was easily the choice for the Twins' MVP last year. Eddie Rosario is a legit major league uh, starter, borderline all-star. Max Kepler in right field put up 2.8 war last year, but a lot of that comes from his defense. He is an elite defensive right fielder, good speed range. And he actually played a little bit of center field last year as well. Little inconsistent with the bat. He made some strides in terms of his ability to hit against left-handed pitching. And he did hit 20 home runs last year. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot there talent wise, and he just turned 26 this week. So Kepler's a guy that I still fully believe in in right field the question mark then becomes center field uh byron buxton's going to be the guy and you like you said with castro adding him back will not only help the team's defense it'll help the team's pitching staff by them being out there playing defense i mean byron buxton's the best defensive outfielder that i think the game has seen in a long time um like you said though he does need to find a way to stay on the field. And last year was random things like he had migraines. So he went on a quick rehab uh, appearance. And in the first game, he falls the ball off his toe, breaks his toe. He tried to come back too quick. Well, you can imagine how playing uh, center field, crashing into walls and trying to hit with a broken toe can be. And then it ended, you know, even worse last year when they didn't call him back up in September. So Jake cave count came on and he did really well. He hit, as many home runs as any rookie outfielder or rookie in the American league last year in the second half, JK was terrific. And I think ideally he's the fourth outfielder getting quite a few at bats, but at the same time, he's, he proved last year that he can be a guy you can go to for extended time. And that as much as Rosario set in left field, Buxton and Kepler kind of have to have decent years this year. And they're going to get every opportunity, but Jake Cave is right there. Um, as I'm, as you mentioned, Alex Kirilov is another guy who's top 10 prospect nationally uh, in a lot of places, certainly top 20 pretty much everywhere. Um, Brent Rooker is a power guy who had 22 home runs and 32 doubles last year in AA. Uh, Kirilov should start this year in AA. Rooker may start this year in AAA. Uh, both of them were non-roster invites, so... Between Lewis, Kirilov, and Rooker, you've got three of the Twins' top prospects that are going to spring training as non-roster invites who won't make the team out of spring training, but those are guys that have a chance to be part of the next core. And to me, that's what's pretty exciting. What sets Kirilov apart from all the other outfielders in baseball? Why is he number nine nationally? That's what I was going to (laughs) ask. Why is he so good? That's why it's such a great question. It I had is. a chance to uh, to meet him a year ago when he was on when he was out with Tommy John, um, and then I talked to him quite a bit this year at spring training as he was working his way back and really just getting used to hitting again. 
And then I got down to Cedar Rapids and watched he and Lewis play uh, at the end of May. And I, I've been making the trek to Fort Myers the last, most of the last decade, most years for a week or two, um, I guess a week or 10 days. Um, I've been to wherever the Twins' low, low A affiliate has been. It used to be in Beloit. Now they've been in Cedar Rapids the last six years. Alex Kirilov is the best pure hitter I've ever seen in, in the last 12 years. And it's a combination of just a great approach at the plate, an aggressiveness, a, a true understanding of situations, the ability to hit the ball to all fields and his best power at this time is to the opposite field. He's hit home runs to left field. I think ha- over half of his homers were to left field, and he had 20. Most of his doubles were to left field, and he's a left-handed hitter, and he led all of minor league baseball last year with 44 doubles. Um, he's just such a pure hitter, and, and it's it's hard to explain that in words, but if you watch him hit, you'll see it. Um, so that's why I think even with the missed year for Tommy John in 2017, He's got a chance to move up quick. If he starts in double A, if the Twins are in contention and they need an outfielder in the second half, I mean, I'd say, I'm not saying it's likely, but he's a guy that could come up and be a difference maker. So definitely one to watch in, in the second half or, or certainly into 2020. So here's, and this is kind of a comparison for that. It's my obligatory, I have to mention Andrew Benintendi in every show. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like that complex, like, he, if this team is contending, he can come up. He can help this team down the stretch. I mean, uh, they both seem to be going through the system pretty fast, and I don't think that's an awful comparison. No, I, I would guess Benintendi may be more of a defensive player, a little more speed probably. But, you know, I'd put Kirilov, like I said, with, with anyone. No, Benintendi was a college guy, whereas Kirilov was a high school guy. So there's differences, and I know you're not trying to be – you know, exact comps, but it's the same situation. If if you have a need uh, for a hitter, he's definitely one to watch. No, DH is taken this year with Nelson Cruz having been yeah. signed. So um, great that's, one great, spot. that's a great one as well. Yeah, it, it really was, and it's a decent deal. It's $14 million for this year with an option for next year at 12 if he's still good at 39 So um, just a great deal. Hopefully he can stay healthy, and if he does, obviously, again, that – takes the DH spot away from someone. So it's, you know, harder to find at bats, but I mean, that's obviously a good problem to have. If it's hard for guys to debut, that means things are going well in the big leagues. And obviously that's what we all want at the end of the day. I mean, Nelson Cruz is the best. I mean, aside from let's say JD Martinez, I mean, what more could you want from a DH? Oh, he's been doing it for so so long too. That's the thing. He's he's, like you say, you know what you're getting. Yeah, consistency. He's been a consistent DH. Absolutely. You're getting power. You're getting uh, home runs. You're getting quality at bats. He usually walks, but he's not just a power hitter. He's a good all-around hitter. So um, I think the Twins are excited for that signing. All right, so we're going to go into starting pitching. You obviously have an ace. I don't think that there's any debating that. Jose Barrios is phenomenal. I mean, there's not much that you can say outside of that. He does everything right. He's got the amount of pitches that he does, and he's going to get better. I mean, I think he's only, what, 23 years old at this point and already has ace stuff. What has he done for this organization to this point, and what do they expect from him? I mean, he made his first All-Star game in 2018, 
And I think Twins and fans expect and at least hope that he gets to many, many more of them. Uh, I mean, he's got really good stuff. He was never a top, top prospect. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily weren't willing to put him real, real high because he's only about six foot, maybe six one. He's not real big, although he has gotten very strong and people is his Instagram follow is a lot of fun uh, just because he posts so many of his offseason workouts on the beaches of Puerto Rico. And it's really kind of fun to watch, but no one outworks him. He's got great stuff. He's got good velocity on a fastball, good movement, good slider, curveball, changeup, uh, pretty good control, everything you would want. Now, I might argue that last year, if you look at this 2018 season as a whole, while Barrios was certainly more outstanding and certainly has a higher ceiling and upside and fits that quote-unquote ace uh, profile a little bit more, I think Kyle Gibson was a better pitcher uh, overall and at least more consistent from day one to the final day, uh, which is exciting because he's another first round, former first round pick who's kind of been in that middling ground for a long time. And now that he's making some money, decisions had to be made. And I think the twins are really glad that they kept him around because he, he made it worth the struggles in 2018 by putting together easily his best season, including strikeouts. Um, you know, he's one of the elder guys on the team at like 30 years old. Um, and, and he is the guy who's been in the organization the longest now. So it's good to have that guy around too, so that it doesn't have to be just, I think Rios is 24. It doesn't have to be him both doing it on the field and trying to be a leader. Cause I think Gibson can help him out with that, especially now that he's starting to put up the numbers. I think people hoped he would for a long time. Who fills out the rotation behind those two? Is it going to be a guy like Martin Perez who coming off? We don't even have to talk about it. Uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Pineda. <laughs> I mean, who fills out the rest of this roster, rest of this rotation, and and does Steven Gonzalez get in the mix at all? Well, I'll say this. I think on opening day, Jake Odorizzi is going to be one of the starters, and he's obviously been a solid major league pitcher for five years. Um, that's not spectacular, not great. Last year he struggled getting through the order the second time or the third time. Uh, but he's he's a big league pitcher and he's going to be the third starter. Michael Pineda, I think, is going to get every opportunity. The question with him is, you know, how he returns from Tommy John. He rehabbed all of last year. He's obviously got the velocity back. He was almost ready to come back at the end of last year just to get a few innings in in the big leagues. Uh, before he had a knee injury that required surgery, but he should be back. He's a big guy who throws really hard, and I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. To me, he's your number four. And I do think Martin Perez will go into the season as the fifth starter. They gave him a major league contract and enough money that he'll probably at least start the season. The Twins may not need a fifth starter for a couple of weeks, so he's the kind of guy that could fit you know, a long relief type of role or a you know, lefty guy out of the pen. After that, there's the question mark, though. So not only Steven Gonsalves, but they have Fernando Romero, who had a very nice first few starts in the big leagues last year. Steven Gonsalves definitely struggled in his debut last year, but did do better at the stretch. Cole Stewart was a surprise call-up in August right before Gonsalves. He actually pitched pretty well uh, in his debut. Um, 
Zach Littell is a guy they got from the Yankees a couple of years ago. Had a nice debut last year at times, showed some ups and downs, but he's going to be at AAA. Um, and the other one is that Alberto Mejia, and we forget about him. When he's been healthy the last couple of years, he's another former Baseball America top 100 type, you know, back end of it, but still a good prospect. His struggle has been getting through five innings, but with the opener and with things like piggyback, and I think Mejia is a guy that he's out of options, so he's going to make the roster. He could be a guy that early in the season you – you piggyback with Michael Pineda or you have he and uh, Martin Perez, you know, opener and a regular starter, that kind of thing. I think you can be creative, but I do think that it'll start the season um, with a lot of those young guys at AAA getting a little more experience after, after all struggling in their big league debuts last year. But I think we'll see all of them at some time. Plus, maybe Chase DeYoung gets another opportunity. And the guy to watch might be Lewis Thorpe, who was the Twins minor league uh, pitcher of the year last year. He did end the year at AAA after pitching well in uh, AA most of the year. So there are about six guys that will definitely – be knocking on the door if any of those guys get hurt or falter. It's it's actually weird for Twins fans to have that kind of depth. And there's some guys that are decent prospects in that group too. It's weird that you just read our minds because we were just going to ask you about, you know, some starting pitching in the minors or any guys that could come up if there's an injury or something that you're excited about. So you've just been nailing everything there. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll jump over to the bullpen. So the bullpen, it's interesting, right? You have – Two st- two star athlete, two sports star athlete, Trevor May, competitive <laughs> video gamer, and you also have him as a a solid reliever. He actually punched out some Red Sox a couple years ago at Fenway, thrown in the mid nineties on a shitty rainy day. But he uh, he's got le- he's got a legit arm, that guy, and he's only twenty nine. He's coming off Tommy John. He's gonna be in the mix. You got Addison Reed, just a veteran, you know, been around for a while. Blake Parker is interesting to me. Interesting name. A little bit older, but definitely still solid. And you have Taylor Rogers. So what's the seven eight nine look like? Is it gonna be a set seven eight nine or a guy's gonna be jumping up and down? And do you think that a guy like Trevor May is going to make a return to the seven eight nine role, or is he have to gonna wait half the year, let that arm kind of settle, kind of how Nathan Avaldi had to wait a little bit for his arm to get back to strength after that Tommy John? Well, I mean, Trevor May ended the year last year as the Twins' closer. Um, he he debuted uh, midseason, kind of had a setback a little bit, went back to the AAA, uh, spent a couple of weeks there again, got that second win, so to speak, back. And when he came back the last couple of months, he was, he was very good. I, I won't say consistent, but he was very good. To me, the bullpen, there's five guys that they can work in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings in any role. And uh, in order, I think Trevor May is the best of that group. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I think he's got the most talent there. I I do. Uh, But I also think uh, Taylor Rogers quietly had one of the best seasons by any left-handed relief pitcher in baseball last year. And there are articles on it. There's many of them. But I still think that people don't know the name Taylor Rogers, and they should, because he was really good the first two-thirds of the 2017 season. And then most of last year, he was dominant down the stretch. So, you know, you've got a lefty-righty. you got May as the righty. You've got uh, Rodgers as a lefty. You mentioned Addison Reed. And, and for the first time in his career last year, he got hurt. 
and really that he struggled and he struggled to come back. But when healthy, he's been one of the better, more consistent guys over the last eight, nine years in, in the big leagues. Um, so if he's healthy, he can be a big impact guy in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then, and then you mentioned Blake Parker, who whatever happened, he didn't do much in his career until he turned about 31 a couple of years ago. He was really good, or at least really solid the last couple of years for the Angels. That's a nice pickup there, I think. And the other guy, Trevor Hildenberger, has worked a lot of 7th, 8th, and ninth innings for the Twins the last couple of years since making his debut. He was the closer for a month or so after after some trades late last year, after they traded Fernando Rodney. Um, but he he's a good sidewinding, uh, different angle guy. So, again, I think there's five guys that I've mentioned right there that are 7th, 8th, and ninth inning guys. Now, I also mentioned Adalberto Mejia is out of options. I think he's a, a potential long reliever, a left-hander, a guy who could be a opener type of guy because he does lack stamina, it appears. Fernando Romero is a power arm that could be starting, but he could really dominate out of the bullpen. Matt McGill probably right now would be the other guy. But they've got they've got arms, and the, all of those starters I mentioned, some of them may end up in the bullpen over time, and um, depth is a good thing, especially with, with bullpen arms. So, I mean, it's not an exciting bullpen in terms of big names. And I'm sure we'd all love to see Craig Kimbrell sign with the twins, but I don't think any of us actually think that will happen. Um, even if Kevin Rosenthal says that they're still the favorite, um, it's still a good bullpen. And if they did get a guy like Kimbrell and you move all those guys down a, a level, and instead of Trevor May needing to waste his outs in the ninth inning, and he can just be used whenever the most important situation in the game is, that's ideal. Using Taylor Rogers in certain situations rather than just the eighth inning, that'd be ideal. I think, I think there's question marks in this bullpen, but I also think there's a lot of talent. I've only been a part of Twins Twitter for like maybe two weeks, and I've seen <laughs> Craig Kimball's name for like, Almost, it's like every other tweet. He's like, the new, he's the new Atlanta when it comes to like, oh, it makes so much sense to go. Yeah, it's, it's like it makes a lot of sense, but you do, you don't think it's gonna happen? Well, I mean, I'm a Twins fan, so I never expect them to go out there. And, <laughs> and you know, honestly, I'm I'm still one of those guys who believes why would you spend three years and sixty million dollars on one relief pitcher who's over thirty? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of economic sense to a mid-market team. But this team right now has a $100 million payroll. Last year, they were at about $125. Um, it's, it's, the money's there. It's just a matter of if that's how they want to spend it. I think right now, um, I don't see it as likely. But maybe there's a 10% chance. And obviously, I'd be thrilled if they got them. So um, it's not my money. I'd like to see them uh, sign a few guys to some long-term contracts. And if they can do that before the season starts, I mean, I think it's been a decent offseason. All right. Tell everybody where they can find your work, where you're coming from, and pretty much anything you want. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I uh, my name is Seth Stowes again. Uh, I write at Twins Daily. Uh, four of us uh, bloggers got together and combined our sites, and it's become a really fun uh, place for Twins fans, kind of a community. Uh, we've had all kinds of get-togethers, including our winter meltdown every year. Um, I also work with Tom Froming, one of our Twins Daily writers and, and editor, 
and uh, Cody Christie, who writes for us as well. Uh, we, we work on the Twins Prospect Handbook. It's about 160 pages and 160 profiles of Twins minor leaguers. So um, lots of work there. Um, other than that, everything else is on twinsdaily.com. And on Twitter, you can find me at, at Seth Tweets. <laughs>